What's up, everyone? Welcome to Inside the Glass. This is where we take a closer look at how ordinary people do extraordinary things. We're back, Chris. Season two. Here we in, are. Inside the glass. Uh, season one was awesome. It was an experiment. I have some good memories of season one. I, my favorite memory was getting um, Adam Grant on the phone to interview him about culture. Here we are in season two. You uh, allowed us to have the budget for this and make it happen. What, what makes you excited about doing this again? Well, I think that this is, uh, you know, podcasts have obviously exploded, but I still think we're telling stories that I don't see in uh, other podcasts. And if you're fans of brands, but more importantly, fans of brand leaders and aspire to become a brand leader, I think this is just a fantastic uh, look into the kind of behind the scenes of what it would take to get one of the most enviable jobs in America. For those that are new to the podcast and uh, season two is your first season, we really do, Chris touched on, we look at how did that person get that CMO job or that CEO job or how did they start that company or brand that we all admire? These episodes that you're going to hear this year dive right into those stories and there's some tips and tricks, but more we really focus on the philosophy and, and their story and we can all learn from stories. I heard this quote the other day that experience isn't the greatest teacher, examined experiences and this is a look inside those people's life and their experience to teach you how to get there. Why don't you tell... Uh, the audience who's our first guest this year well season two we're going to kick off with a bang with uh, tim harris tim harris has a uh, a fairly unique job title in that he is both the cmo and the coo of the los angeles lakers uh, arguably one of the greatest sporting franchise brands in the world uh, i think you can count on one hand manchester united uh, Dallas Cowboys, uh, maybe the New York Yankees and the LA Lakers. And so uh, we've gotten to know Tim um, through uh, the Lakers being nominated and winning one of the uh, Colt Brand Honoree Awards at the Gathering a few years ago. He has been incredibly generous uh, to us, brought us out to his uh, big sponsorship event in Napa Valley, us and our wives, which was fantastic. Yep. And uh, he'll be back at the Gathering in 2020. And uh, it was great to get him inside the glass and talk about his life a bit. Yeah. And listen, the people we have on this podcast, the men and women that are part of this the one common theme chris you'll agree with this is they're salt of the earth people if you hear anything or you learn anything they're just good people and uh you are gonna enjoy this episode let's do it so my name is tim harris i'm the president of business operations for the los angeles lakers i'm also the chief operating officer and they made me take cmo as well for just to make my business card busier. You know, day-to-day, -day, I, I run the day-to-day -day business ops for the Lakers. So I don't sign players. I don't pick players. Nothing about who goes on the floor has anything to do with me. So I'm going to kind of back into what I do. So I don't pick the players. I don't choose them. I don't decide who goes on the floor. I'm not the lawyer and I'm not the CFO, but I'm everything else. Which sounds like a lot. And when you talk yeah. about COO and CMO, I want to dive into a little bit of those are different skill sets. So how classically trained versus how, you know, school of uh, hard knocks trained, as well as maybe even a little bit about your team and who do you surround yourself with. But before we dive into all of that, let's go way back. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to university if you did? And I know you were an athlete. Maybe mm -hmm. elaborate a little bit on that. Okay. So I was born in Inglewood, which is, you know, in the, in the shadow of the forum. And it was, it's quite interesting. We lived the stone's throw from, from the forum we moved before I went into kindergarten and we moved, you know, I was born in 61. We moved because we were maybe a mile and a half from Watts. And when they had the Watts summer riots, we had National Guard on our street. And it was at that point in time, my father said, we need to look and go somewhere else. And so we moved to Torrance, South Torrance. And that's where I Grew up until I went away to, to college. I, I went to UCLA, and I was at UCLA on a soccer scholarship. I was a goalkeeper. And that, I, I went primarily to play soccer and secondarily to, to do school. I wasn't, I wasn't as focused on school as I should have. And then I, after four years at UCLA, um, I 
was with the U.S. national team program for a bit. And then the only thing, this is key, the only thing propping up American soccer in the mid-80s was the major indoor soccer league. And it was a phenomenon because in many cities it was outdrawing the NBA because you're playing in an arena. It was 15,000, 16,000 folks. I was drafted by the team that Dr. Buss owned. And so that's how I started. That's how I got to know the folks, started getting to know some of the folks at the forum and meeting Dr. Buss. But I was meeting him in a, in a different way. I was a player. I played in the MISL for four or five years and then finished, went back to UCLA to finish up and worked briefly in commercial real estate and realized it wasn't my thing. What was your degree in? It was sociology with a business uh, focus. And then I went to, uh, I had got the opportunity to come work at the forum in 1990. And as I said in my presentation, it was to sell sponsorships for tennis and volleyball events, which I didn't really know anything about, but I knew how to work hard. And at that time, this is 1990, I, I wasn't working the email. So I was working the phone. I was doing a lot of phone calling and learning the business as I went along, which was how he liked it because he wanted young employees to learn the industry on the things that didn't matter financially as much because there was less risk. So he let us cut our teeth on these, you know, sort of ancillary events. And that's concerts, boxing, skating, gymnastics, lucha libre, pay-per-view boxing, concerts, every event you can imagine. And I learned how to change a building over and how to turn it over from basketball to hockey and hockey to basketball and concerts to this. Talk a little bit about what being a professional athlete has meant for your career and I, certainly starting out, I don't know if you still draw upon principles of that. We sometimes think a lot about veterans and, and what the military does to help mm -hmm. people really thrive in the, in the business world. But last year, Gatorade was here and they talked about a big part of their turnaround was not just getting MBAs, but getting MBAs who had played competitive sport. And that helped both obviously with their brand, their Gatorade, but yeah. also there's just a certain work ethic that they envy. And uh, do you attribute some of your success to having been a professional athlete? Completely. I think, and not just professional, but just an athlete. And I, I like it when we see folks who have had a sports background and primarily because I think, you know, to your, to your question, I think athletes know how to goal set. Athletes know how to manage their time. You know, that's sort of a day-to-day -day thing. But more than anything, athletes know how to fail. And because anybody can succeed, but athletes know how to fail and then succeed. And I find that supremely important in what we do because we're going to fail. We're, we're, things are going to happen that we didn't plan on, but it's what you do next. And so I like seeing athletes. I love seeing athletes who can tell a story of adversity because, you know, it, whether they, you know, when you're talking to them, they came through you know, college and maybe they had an, an injury that they had to rehab and come back from in order to get back on the playing field. I love seeing that kind of thing because it just shows the ability to overcome adversity and then goal set yet again. You have two things that are fairly unique, I think, certainly in today's day and age. You've seemed to have been in Southern California your whole life and want to know a little bit how intentional or is that just where the opportunities were? Or did you make a conscious decision to plant yourself there? And then you've obviously been with the same organization for 20 plus years. And I get it now. Why would you leave? But there yeah. would have been times you didn't have the greatest job in the world there. And uh, how much of that is you're just a loyal guy, you're a committed guy, or was there something else at play that kind of kept you where you were? No. No, I mean, I, I left Southern California for a year when I was playing soccer because I got traded to the team in Minnesota. So I spent a year away. When I, and then when I came back, I was in Southern California. The opportunity or the decision to stay in Southern California hasn't been I need to be in Southern California by, by any means. It, it was more opportunity-based. Early on, when I first started at the forum, I was just learning. And I was trying to harvest an instinct at that point in time as to what I should do with my life. And so I was learning this industry, not knowing if this was going to be my ultimate calling. There was one particular time when this was when they were just starting the MLS, Major League Soccer. And I was approached to run what would be the new team, the Galaxy, in Los Angeles. And... I'm a soccer guy and, and here's a chance to run something. And it was a startup and, and I agreed. I, I accepted to take the job and I went and I, Jeannie Buss, who's now the owner, she was, she has been my boss from, from all the, from the first day. 
And I told her, and I've got this opportunity. I'm going to take it. And she congratulated me. I understand that you're a soccer guy. So then the story gets interesting because then a, a couple of days later, I had to go with the owner of the Galaxy and look at office space for our new offices. I did that. And then I was meeting back up with him in the afternoon at the old offices of the World Cup, 94 old offices. And we were meeting with Nike to go over what would be the uniform design. So I drive back to the forum and I get a note to go see Dr. Buss. And Jeannie and Dr. Buss are sitting in there and, and Dr. Buss says, I understand you have an opportunity to leave. I said, I do. And he says, that's exciting. And I, you know, congratulations, but we'd like you to stay. And he, you know, made me, gave me an opportunity I couldn't refuse and I accepted. I will stay. But now I got to go inform the guy. <laughs> that afternoon. That afternoon. So I go back up to Century City and I'm walking in. Well, these are all soccer people. I know all these people. Okay. And they're all congratulating me on this job. And I'm like looking at it saying, like, I need to find the owner. I need to, where is he? And they're all congratulating me. And I'm just like giving it the like cut, cut, Awkward. cut, you know, you know. So I find him and I say, look, I'm really sorry to do this. I wouldn't have accepted if this hadn't happened, but I just came from the forum and I have an opportunity and I'm going to stay. And he was disappointed, not upset, but disappointed in understanding. And he says, but look, I need, I need your favor. He says, I don't know anything about soccer uniforms. Someone has to sit with Nike. Would you do that? So I said, sure, I'll sit with Nike. So I'm sitting in the room and here comes all the Nike soccer people who I know them all. They're all congratulating me on this new job that I've accepted and they rejected. And I had to sit and go over uniforms with them. But it was it was the one time when I really had a foot out the door following that. So that's 94, 95 ish. And then, you know, when I slid over to the Lakers, then it just kept getting opportunities and things would come along. People would kick my tires, but nothing that i mean you're leaving the lakers so you know in in my mind what am i going to leave the lakers to do and i've always said it's that. a short list yeah at this point in time in my life i'm not going to go and work for an nhl team i'm i'm not going to go and work for another nba team baseball's too many games i suppose i could nfl's intriguing but i don't know where else i would go yeah european soccer that'd be the only one yeah man united Hey, Ryan, let's just uh, let's stop Tim here for a second in this yeah. interview and just sort of react and digest to what we're listening to. You know, I think one of the things that I'm so impressed with was his, you know, loyalty. It doesn't mean you're not tempted or flirting with other opportunities, but uh, he digested the fact he's already working for one of the greatest sports franchise teams, and uh, he fought back the, the idea that uh, the grass is going to be greener yeah. someplace else. I, see, I think we both have seen a lot of executives jump ship too early. Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody tempted them with a little bit more money or a little bit better title, and uh, they look back with some regret, saying, oh, that company that I was at went on to do something remarkable, and I could have been a, a bigger player, a bigger contributor to that story, and they just got impatient. Yeah, we talk about, you said it's one of the greatest things I've ever said to you, and I haven't said a lot of great things to you, but I heard it from actually my uncle, but no roots, no fruit. And uh, that reminds me of that. He stayed when he had the option to go elsewhere, but that would mean those roots would be rooted up and you have to plant new ones. And he was entrenched in the organization and he knew it. And although maybe more money, maybe a fancier position, I don't know if he can get fancier than that, but it uh, he chose to stay and those roots now are bearing major fruit. And it's incredible. What I'd like to say to the listeners, and I'm sure people are going through this right now as they're listening to this, that just chill out. Your career is never a straight line. Chris, yours hasn't been, mine hasn't been. And if the top dog at the Lakers had a windy road and had to make some choices and forks in his road, that's okay, go through it, talk to friends. But I think always stick with your heart. You know what you're supposed to do. And don't jump for 20 grand, 10 grand, 50 grand. Be happy. Do something that matters. Yeah, I like chill out. Have some patience. Think in decades. We're going to be working for 50, 60 years, given our life expectancy. And it doesn't now. mean don't leave. It might still mean leave, but make sure you're leaving with something that you can stick with for a while. Yeah, and for the right reasons. All right, uh, listen, we got to jump to a sponsor. Uh, we're thrilled that this year, uh, The Gathering, according to Forbes, the number one business and marketing conference in the world, uh, is, uh, is our sponsor. And uh, here's some words from them. Today's smartest brands aren't spending billions on mass media. They're doing innovative, disruptive things to engage cult-like followings who don't just buy, they buy in. How? Well, there's one sure way to find out. 
Every February, iconic brands like Marvel, The North Face, Yeti, and Tony Hawk share their secrets high in the Canadian Rockies during an intimate summit called The Gathering. Sold out the past six years? Start your journey of enlightenment in 2020. Join us at cultgathering.com. Welcome back to Inside the Glass, where we're telling the remarkable story of Tim Harris of the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, let's dive into a little bit. I want to get into the skill sets. How much was luck? How much was intentional or goal planning? You've So you've navigated your way up, and it seems like every couple of years you're given a, a whole whack more responsibility. And I don't imagine that the it was perfectly correlated with just as the Lakers got bigger. I mean, it's, the Lakers were already a pretty large yeah. team when you got there. So for the listener's sake, tell us a little bit about that journey and then maybe some of the the principles that another aspiring marketing manager or brand person would say, oh, I should do that too. So it's interesting with the Lakers, and I talked about this yesterday. I was, we're a corner store. We're a small company. And we've grown in the last five years exponentially in the last two years even more so from a and when i say grow i don't mean revenues and things like that i'm saying you know our staff from the on the business side yet our business staff remains by far the smallest in the league you know we're 30th in business staff and 29th has 20 percent more than we do so we run a very lean group and what that requires is folks to wear different hats from from time to time and my earlier life at the forum gave me skill sets that allow me to be sort of you know I know a little about a lot and in a lot of areas I know a lot about a lot and it sort of makes me versatile and able to what's the word I'm searching for able to problem solve because I could bring an experience from a having been with this organization and with this brand, but understanding the whole wealth of everything that goes around it. And that has served me well, especially now I always seek out and I always hope that I'm not the smartest one in the room. And we now have so many young, talented young people who are much smarter than me, but I always end up being the most experienced one in the room. And I think that's what, allows us to be successful is all of these great ideas coming from these smart, smart people. And then you combine it with, you know, I just have world experience in this industry with this team, with this organization in this city. And do you view that as really your superpower? Like, do you go to a lot of conferences? Are you always reading the, the industry mags about the next big thing or are you you're the continuity of i know the lakers and i know this industry and you surround yourself with people that have that subject matter expertise i guess you could almost say in a weird way i'm a lakers idiot savant (laughs) you know that i i mean i know the lakers and i want you know and i think a lot of what i could do could translate but you know my job is you know because i have a very with dr bus it was this way and with genie it was this way i have a very very hands-off owner complete freedom. And so my job is really from 30,000 feet to keep things going in the right direction. And certainly we're all out, you know, looking at ways that we can get better and different technology and different applications and how can we improve the experience and how can we improve for the fans. But ultimately I'm, you know, the analogy I use is horrible and it's, it, it's going to date me, but I, I'm sort of like Captain Kirk. Right. And, and this is a horrible analogy, but I always say like Captain Kirk doesn't know about the engine room as well as Scotty, but he's going to get the information from Scotty and make a decision on what to do. And that's that's sort more of what power. I do. Yeah. Usually it's more power. Right. That's what yeah. it is. <laughs> so it's interesting you talk about I mean, that's so the Lakers have to be the, the number one team revenue wise in the NBA, but you have the 30th smallest staff, which I'm imagining equates just to overhead. Yes. Right? Yes. Which is an amazing dichotomy. We we just came from a session with Cheetos, almost a two billion dollar snack brand. She has three people on her marketing team. Just I would have guessed 120 people. Right, right. Is there something in your mind, is that because you're an incredibly frugal or the owner is very frugal or do you find that finding talented people, giving them that level of entrepreneurship and wearing that many hats is part of the secret sauce? No, I think part of the reason we're so lean 
is we made, you know, if you look at our, the size of our staff, you know, how we compare to other teams, it's, we're close where we're very, very far behind is in ticket sales. We made the, the conscious decision many, many years ago that we would be in the renewal business. We wouldn't be in the ticket selling business. We'd be in the ticket renewing business. So whereas all the other teams have large ticketing staffs that are out trying to sell to someone new, we have a small ticketing group that is trying to renew the existing customers. And we are consciously in the renewal business. And because of that, that's why we're so lean. Well, and you shared a stat in your present. It's like something crazy about you had X percentage of people have been ticket holders since like 1980 or something like yeah. this. What was the, what 25%. Was it 25%. 25% are in their four, going into 40 years yes. of renewal. So yeah, 25%. And, and so are those corporations or are those just families that are handing them down father to son? Ind- individuals, mostly just, individuals. And it is fascinating is we can date... Whenever we put up on a video board, congratulations, Chris Neeland, on 30 years of being a season ticket holder, we get calls and they'll say, you know, you have my date wrong. You have my date wrong. And we get calls from the folks because when we bought the team from Jack and Cook, they gave us all the paperwork. And the paperwork that they had were the season ticket invoices, which sort of look like the bill you'd get at a diner, right? And... They go back to September 1st, 1971, and that's all we have. So we, we acknowledge that there are folks who've been with us since before September 1st, 1971, but that's all we have. It, this is why they just don't want to ever leave. So think about owning season tickets for something since September 1st, 1971. I mean, it boggles the mind. I, yeah, I really can't think of that kind of commitment to many things no, in my life. No. And I mean, <laughs> you've outlasted marriages, children, yes. jobs, cars. Well, and, oh. and, and even better, you know, you've got 25% is dates 1980. The entire lower bowl, the entire lower bowl is 20 years or more average. So when you're not motivated, it's not necessary to go to work every day to put butts in seats. How much of what you're trying to do is to create incremental revenue streams, merch and stuff like that, versus just delivering the, the ultimate fan experience so that they do renew? That's the challenge is you can't, it's impossible. We're pretty expensive, okay? But we can't ride them forever. There's going to be a tipping point where they say, I just can't, you, you can't keep increasing the prices. And so we have to be creative and find other revenue sources so we don't just ride continually on the backs of the season ticket holders with ticket increases because it's just not fair. What has helped us immensely, immensely was the regional sports network deal we did with Time Warner five years ago that took a lot of pressure off of us, of the, the revenue that we need to receive from ticketing because we get such a healthy check from Time Warner. How much do you pay attention to the non-LA fan, I mean, the Lakers fan that doesn't live in Los Angeles, in the gathering here, we've talked with the Rough Riders and the activations they do in Scotland or at the, with the troops in Afghanistan and stuff like that, and really fostering a fan base that's global now. I know there's some limitations about what the NBA yeah. doesn't, doesn't let you yeah. do, but is that on your radar as the next bit? There's another million dollars of jersey sales to be had in, in Barcelona? Well, it's, the way the NBA is set up is it's a, it's a franchise system and they, they own the marks. We don't. They license them back to us for us to do certain activities in our area of dominant influence, which is defined as a, if you draw a 75 mile circle around Staples Center, that's what you get, which means part of our area is in the ocean. And the Clippers and, share half of it. And the Clippers share half of it as well. So we have to be mindful right now. We can't fly over to Barcelona and, and start throwing up our, our logo everywhere and open up a shop on our own. We're prohibited from doing it. And so you have to be mindful of where you're going to find those revenue sources. So a Lakers t-shirt sold in Barcelona, the Pacers will make the same amount of money as the Lakers will off the sale of that t-shirt. So there's sort of indirect revenue, which is that. And then there's direct revenue, which is the things we control. And we're, right now it's in, it's basically that 75 mile territory with the exception, the league is now opening up digi- the digital channels and now allowing teams to monetize their digital platforms a little bit more. Everything in the early going was about gating 
if you're going to partner up with somebody, you got to gate them to your 75 miles. And it's difficult to gate somebody. And it's, it was one thing to gate them in the, you know, when you're talking about a website, some of these other digital platforms, just, you know, how do you gate somebody on Twitter? Right. I mean, so it, the league understands the teams can probably monetize that better than, than the league. And so they're, they're now opening it up and that's going to be the next area where we hope to exploit for direct revenue back to us. So started tennis and volleyball doing sponsorships. And then from there I was working for the arena and I was doing promotions and marketing and operations for any event that came and whether it was a co-promotion with the, with the forum or they were on their own just as a tenant, help them have their event. What happened was Phil Anschutz bought the Los Angeles Kings from Dr. Bus. And then Phil Anschutz came to Dr. Bus and said, I'd like to build a building downtown and I'd like the Lakers to come. And that was negotiated. But part of the negotiation was Dr. Bus said, look, if, I, if the Lakers leave the forum, I don't need to own the forum anymore. So Phil Anschutz agreed to buy the forum from Dr. Bus. That's when I didn't, we no longer needed to work the building. And so they slid me over to the Lakers side and said, somebody needs to oversee moving the team downtown. Tim seems to have a wealth of knowledge because of his understanding of arenas and whatnot. So we moved the organization downtown. And then from there, it just, you know, one thing I just, I just kept growing within the organization and taking on more. And I've always had this sort of following genie thing, you know, because as Dr. Bus gave genie more you know, authority and power, then there was a vacuum that they kept filling, you know, that I kept filling as, as we both rose. And now as Jeannie is the majority owner and the governor for the team, once, once Dr. Bus passed, then that they made me president of the team. And are you more of a fake it till you make it guy or more of a, I'm going to do all this homework and make sure that I'm the smartest guy in the room when I got a new job? I have a feel, sort of an idiot, Samant, for this. I have a good feel. I have a decent feel for people. I love to lean on people for their advice and their insight and then make decisions. I, my goal is not to be the smartest one in the room. My goal is to put the smartest people in the room and then we make a collective decision on, on and how we're doing it. But we're, we're mindful of, you know, I, I talked about this in the inner sanctum today, where we don't take risks when it comes to our customers. So we're not, we don't strive to be the first with a new ticketing platform so that we can raise our hand and say we're first with a ticketing platform and then the guinea pigs have to be our customers. We wait until it's tried and true before we throw it out to our customers. Is there, looking back at your career, a particular thing of pride that you say that was really great work? That's a bit of a legacy that I'm going to leave with this organization? Well, moving the team to Staples Center was a triumph because it was difficult and hard and the the Lakers have been at the forum for 40 years. But I think to answer your question, it would be the Time Warner deal. It was life-changing for the organization. It gave the organization security for 25 years. It was a negotiation that was tough and complicated and hard. And, you know, there was a people aspect to it. And because we're trying to, you know, it's you're negotiating with someone that you want to marry. And that's difficult, right? And you're not always going to agree. And, and, you know, the analogy I use is with the Time Warner deal was here were two people who were trying to get married. They had decided that they wanted to get married. And now they had to discuss the details of the wedding. She wants to throw out your college clothing Correct. and you can't put your posters Correct. on the wall anymore. Right. And just because you get an argument over the wedding doesn't mean you don't get married. We literally, once we got to the point where we knew we, were, we wanted to get married, we all got in a room for a week. And it was 9 a.m. until 2 a.m. with the lawyers and pounding out every finite detail of the deal. Because you're talking about a 25-year RSN deal. And, and here Time Warner is starting a brand new RSN with the Lakers as their anchor. Did you have some mentors? I mean, I would imagine negotiating broadcast TV rights is very different than flipping over spaces in, in arenas, which you kind of cut your teeth at. Did, did you just figure it out or did you have people that gave you a lot of advice along the way? We had a consultant, Ed Desser, who had come from the NBA and he was really helpful because he had seen a lot of these deals. And we had some negotiating windows with our existing partners that we needed to fulfill. Prior to those windows, I spent a year and a half learning about what the RSN industry was going to be, what it could be, but more importantly, learning about our value. I needed to understand what we were truly worth so that I could be an informed participant in any negotiations, whether our existing partner or someone new. 
And ultimately, we arrived at a place where the economics made sense to start our own RSN. And I knew that part of that was maybe a stalking horse, but anybody we were talking to had to understand we were serious about it. And so we we took all the steps to literally start an RSN and all the way down to Dr. Bus signing off on agreeing to start an RSN. And that allowed me to go into the room and say, well, I guess we'll just start our own, knowing that we literally could start our own and I wasn't just bluffing. But through that process, I learned, you know, I went to the University of RSN and I learned a ton about how these RSNs work, how to get them started, what you're going to need. And it was fascinating. You're looking in your crystal ball. I know you, you teased this idea of digital both being potentially lucrative, but also it's wildly complicated. But is there, an, what's the next five years? So the RSN thing was five years ago, mm-hmm. right? With, with uh, Time Warner. So it, do you think what's the next big frontier that you're going to have to master? Well, we've got the rest of the season plus six on our lease at Staples Center. And that is going to be, and so there's a number of ways you could do this. You could extend for a few years and kind of kick the can down the road, or you could do a long-term extension of 15 years. In six years, I mean, I'm 100, I'm 57. In six years, I'm 63, okay? We do a 15-year deal after that. I'm not doing the next one. Somebody else is. And so that is from a sort of setting us up for the future. If you look at it this way, Chris, is we're constantly just trying to set ourselves up so we have revenue consistency. So we've got you know, a 20 odd year deal with Time Warner. So we're fine there. Our radio deals are solid. We're fine there. The the ticketing continues to churn. So we're fine there. We have to set up where we're going to live beyond the six years. And once that, then I don't know after that, I don't, I don't know what the next great frontier is because, you know, if I'm 57, I'm not, I'm not doing this terribly longer. And then it's going to be up to somebody else. Do you feel that the NBA shoulders the majority of burden to keep basketball relevant? Or do you at the Lakers try to, I mean, obviously you do some things with, with your players, but yeah. do you do you lose sleep at night worrying about viewership that people just don't want to watch as many games? This is a, a concern with both the NBA and, you know, all of the member teams is, is what is the future of, of attendance? And, and is that going to be an impact? And are we going to, is the model someday 10 years down the road going to change where attendance is not that big of a deal because we've found a different platform to show the games because they just don't want to come. I don't know, but that's, it's the potential. And, you know, the, the NBA is, in my opinion, in, in America, it's the best run league. It's got great leadership at the top. I mean, Adam's unbelievable as a commissioner. And the teams are, you know, Dr. Buss always told us we're going to be a, a team that is, you know, supportive of the league. And he always felt that you're only as strong as your worst team. But the worst team in the NBA is really strong. And Who is the worst team in the NBA? <laughs> I'm not saying. <laughs> I guess you could say by what yeah, metric right. you're using. There's probably a short yes. list we could come up with yes. off here. All right. You're wearing these two hats, COO, CMO. That's uh, unusual. Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference? I think I'm probably better at COO. I'm not the most creative person. Again, I love analogies. I like to wear suits, but I can't design one. But I know what I like when I see one. And so I look for folks who bring me creative ideas and then we can choose. But no way could I sit down and design my own suit because I'm just not, I don't think that way. And so when it comes to creativity, I lean on folks who really are creative and then I help them, you know, because what I want is I want our creative people to be unencumbered by by any guardrails, bring me everything. And then I help us stay away from the margins where we might get in trouble. I love that. That's good leadership. Marvel spoke yesterday about their org chart and and most organizations, they they create hierarchy of of no, (laughs) different people that have different ways of killing bad ideas. And they really turn that on its head and and they're actually, you're you're more disincentive for not bringing big, crazy ideas. I think we need more of that. I I agree with you 100%. If if they start filtering everything before it ever gets to your desk, there's going to be a great idea that's on the editing room floor back there. You know, what we try to do is, and this, especially with 
like the example I use is with big partners like Time Warner. We've tasked them with providing all of this experiential content around our players and storytelling. And so what I tell our folks is when Time Warner asks to do something, the answer is yes. Then tell me the problems. Don't say the answer is no because of these problems. Tell me the answer is yes. And then tell me what's going to be the problems along the way. Yeah, that's great. We're getting the cue here. So last question. Yes, sir. I bring somebody else into this podcast booth that knows you, and we're talking about you behind your back. What would you hope that they would say? How do you hope people think that working with Tim is, what's it like? I think they would say that I'm fair. I think they would say that I'm caring. I think they would say that I see the big picture and I don't get lost in the weeds of the stuff that doesn't matter. And I have kind of the long view. You know, I tell our folks a lot of times, like, look, if you know that your no is going to become a yes, then just say yes, because then you look like the good guy. Or if you know your yes is going to become a no, then just say no. Because what I have learned, and when I was younger, I wanted to argue and debate and fight about everything. And I've learned now it's not worth it, you know, in the long run. So I think the people who would come in would say, look, he's fair. He's hard. He'll negotiate hard. He'll stick by his brand. But at the end of the day, he's fair and he doesn't want to have a winner take all. You know, when I was doing the Time Warner thing, I told the executives from Time Warner that because I believe this, that any really true fair deal should leave both parties just a little pissed off. And I believe that. Hey, Ryan, you got a chance to get Allison Howard on the phone. She's an executive with the Lakers who has worked with Tim for several years. Let's listen in to see what she has to say. Hello, Allison. How are you doing today? Hi, guys. I'm doing well. We have Allison Howard on the podcast today. Allison, um, for those that don't know you, tell them uh, who you work for and what you do. I work for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm the vice president of corporate partnerships. So my day-to-day job is to uh, maximize revenue. How long have you been with the uh, Lakers? This is my ninth season. It's amazing. Today we're talking about the wonderful Tim Harris on this podcast. And you've worked with him now, I guess, nine years. And on the podcast, we're talking about leadership and styles and effectiveness. And clearly, Tim is a respected leader. And maybe you could give us some insight, uh, tell us some stories today about why you think he's a good leader and, and, and what he's done to bring the best out in you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Tim is probably unlike um, many people that I have worked for in the most positive way. Um, you know, he has an enormous job. Um, this is a cult brand, as you guys would agree. Yes. And we are in a huge city um, and a lot of people um, that are constantly needing things from him. So I think what Tim does really well is he leans on all of the different department heads to really own and become an expert in whatever they are operating for the Lakers. And so he gives us that freedom and he trusts us and I, and he supports us. So, you know, I feel like I have the freedom to lead and grow the department. Um, And then if I ever have questions or if I'm wavering on something or I'm not sure what to do, then he has a very open door policy. Tim has been with the Lakers for a very long time, and he has a thousand percent trust of ownership. So when he makes decisions, he is making decisions on what is best for the entire brand overall. So that is how I am guided to make decisions. So we're all kind of thought and expected to think about the entire brand, not just our individual departments and what might be good for us. You know, and and Tim and I work very closely together. Um, I trust him very much. And I do go to him quite often and say, I'm just, I'm seeing this from two different sides. What's your take? And to be honest, what he usually says is, what does your gut tell you? And I'll tell him what my gut says. And he says, then you go with that. And that's come up during two 
really tough situations that I've had with just within this past season and I've gone with it and he's supported it. It's just, it just, uh, I feel like that kind of trust every time it's given compounds and just grows, uh, exponentially. And, and I can, I've only known Tim for 18 months now, but I see that in him. He, he also is known for doing things and saying yes to things before he's ready or, uh, outside his comfort zone. How has he helped you stretch to say yes to things outside yours? We're a unique brand where we don't do anything for money. At the same time, the task to bring the right partners where they fit in with the rest of our 35 other corporate partners and our season ticket members are going to welcome them with open arms and our 150 million fans around the globe are also going to welcome them with open arms. Like that is a bit of a daunting task, right? Yeah. So in these two scenarios that I had, I told Tim, I don't like this deal. And it was, we were almost to the contract phrase. And I said, I just don't think this is a good deal for us. This is going to be really hard to turn down millions and millions of dollars, but I think we're going to regret it after we sign the deal. If it stands as is. And he said, then the money is not worth it. Go with your gut, walk away. Yeah. And, you know, that was like, that was very reassuring to me that number A, you know, obviously he has a trust in me. Um, and B, that the brand stands for exactly what it should stand for. And that is doing the right thing and finding the right partners. People wonder why the Lakers brand is what it is. And it's definitely in the back rooms that great brands are built, not on the stage. It's that kind of resolve to say, yeah, I'm sure I'm walking away from millions of dollars, but it doesn't feel right. Or it's going to be a gong show trying to please these people where the greatest deals are they're both, it's a win and everyone's excited to be part of it. It's amazing to hear he, he supports you in that. Yeah. He also, you know, almost like, you know, I'm in these two tough situations and I'll come to him and I'm like, gosh, what do I do? Right. Just kind of looking for an answer. And he has what I like to call these teachable moments where he will, you know, either tell a story about his family. So he's, you know, quote unquote, just a dad or, or just a husband or maybe he pulls a story from 20 plus years ago of being at the forum, but he answers your question or he gives you, you understand what the message is if you really listen to it. And so he doesn't just write out, say, no, you shouldn't do this or yes, do this. Or have you thought about this? He kind of lets you think on it. And so you yourself are growing in that next opportunity. And, and that type of listening type leadership, it's, it's got to be refreshing. And um, if you could sum up, Tim, in one word, minimum, three words, max, what would it be? Committed. Committed is the, ab- if I had to do one word, he is absolutely committed. He's committed to the family. He's committed to the brand. He's committed to his family. Um, he is committed. That's the best word. There you have it, folks. Leadership takes commitment, and Tim embodies that. Uh, thanks so much, Allison. Uh, I will see you soon, either in L.A. or in Banff at the gathering, and uh, thanks for taking some time with us. Thank you, guys. All right. This whole thing was gold, Chris, and uh, I know for me and for the content we put out, I really wanted to resonate with me first, and I just learned so much from this. What stuck out to you, Chris? What was really the takeaways that you would like to wrap up and share with the audience here? Uh, Three things. One, the fact that Tim Harris has so successfully navigated a complex organization for both the betterment of the brand but also his personal career. I think that we can mimic some of his attributes. Uh, Secondly, I I still am, am just thinking about the Lakers having the 30th smallest staff and resources in the NBA and how do you become a global powerhouse with such a lean team I I went to LA and toured his headquarters and I was it's beautiful first of all by the way they partnered with UCLA Health 
And uh, I literally was like, where is everyone? He's like, this is everyone. So I, I just echo that. And if you're listening to this, size does not equal success. It's the opposite. And uh, they live that in spades. What else? Well, the last one was, I'm still thinking about the fact that they've had 25% of their season ticket holders for 40 years. <laughs> LTV. Uh, I mean, that is a remarkable, no wonder they were honored as one of the most cult-like brands on the planet. And uh, I think more and more marketers should be thinking about how do you get existing customers to come back, buy more product more often at higher margin, as opposed to this overly obsessive culture we have in marketing and more importantly, advertising on new customer acquisition. And uh, that, that kudos to, to Tim and his team for creating something that people want to be a part of for decades. Yeah, brands that you buy into don't just buy from, and they clearly want to put a great product on the floor, but as a great brand marketer and building not just a basketball team, but a brand that people tattoo on their shoulder or arm or wherever you do that. It's a, uh, it's amazing the machine they built and it's admirable and I'm glad we get to dive in and learn a lot about him. Listen to this one, my friends, two or three times because there's so many nuggets in there. Hey everybody, as we wrap up this first episode, we wanted to take a moment to honor the late Kobe Bryant. Uh, he obviously had a huge impact on both the Lakers and on Tim Harris. So uh, please take a moment with us as we listen into this tribute. Once upon a time, there was a young basketball player who had dreams of becoming one of the greatest basketball players of all time. You have the opportunity to go to the NBA and play against the greatest players in the world. That doesn't get you going. I don't think anything will. It's like a dream come true. I, I couldn't even dream of this when I was a kid. You know, it's just no way possible. It's just, you know, just a blessing from above. The joy of the game uh, comes from just being out there and just playing. The competitive side of me uh, feels like we can win every game that we play. What I've learned is to, to, to always keep going. Do you love the process? <laughs> that gets you to that, those boring, agonizing moments. If you love that, then you know you found something that's really true to you. You know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. Those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, that is actually the dream. If you're a fan of mine, you're a fan of winning. You're a fan of the Lakers. That's never going to change. Man, I gave my soul to this game, man. There's nothing more I could give. I wanted to be one of the best basketball players to ever play. And anything else that was outside of that lane, I didn't have time for. It's not about my jerseys that are hanging up there for me. You know, it's about the jerseys that were hanging up there before. Growing up and watching all these great players play and uh, learning so much from them, to now be a part of that wall, you know, means everything to me. You get older, you start to understand that really it's about the next generation that these championships do come and go. But the most important thing you can do is to pay everything that you learn forward to the next generation to come. And that's truly how you create something that lasts forever. I love storytelling. Imagine, like, when an Oscar, how ridiculous that would be. And the Oscar goes to... Unfortunately for us athletes, we've been pigeonholed into thinking that we can only be one thing. I'm here to show people that we can do much more than that. Winning an Oscar, winning the Emmy and the Annie, those are things that are showing other athletes that come after. No, no. 
there's more to this thing. The discipline, the commitment, the team and community. How do I take those lessons and move those here? Having that sharp focus is something that I got from the game of basketball. You have to dance beautifully in the box that you are comfortable dancing in. My box was to be extremely ambitious within the sport of basketball. Your box, it's different than mine. Everybody has their own. It's your job to try to perfect it and make it as beautiful of a canvas as you can make it. And if you have done that, then you have lived a successful life. You have lived with Mamba mentality. And being married to my wife, Vanessa's, I, it's fun. I mean, I, we have a good time together. Um, I love her tremendously. And, uh, but we're best friends, too. That's a blessing. When we were raising our daughters, and one of the things that we teach them is you just got to try your best. And you just got to give it your all, give it everything you have. As parents, you got to lead by example. If you want your kids to do whatever it is they want to accomplish in life, you got to show them. I have four girls, so my mission is to make sure women have opportunities. Our daughters will grow up understanding that they can be strong, they can be independent, they can be fierce. I just love spending time with my family and just... You know, just being a husband, being a father, being a goofball, just, <laughs> just having a good time with my kids. I grew up a diehard, I mean a diehard Laker fan. And to spend 20 years here, I mean, you can't, you can't write something better than this. You got 19 or 20 years to play with the Lakers. Yeah, 19, 19 or 20 at least. Appreciating all this, you know, the journey that we've been on. You know, we've been through our ups and been through our downs. I think the most important part is that we all stay together throughout. You guys will always be in my heart. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, God, I love you guys. What can I say? Mamba out. You've been Inside the Glass with Ryan Gill and Chris Neeland, a podcast spawned by the remarkable stories and relationships forged at the gathering in Banff, Canada, a marketing summit bringing together the brightest minds and the best brands from around the world. Special thanks to Tim Harris for letting us tell his remarkable story. Thanks to our contributor, Allison Howard, and thanks to our sponsor, The Gathering, for making this podcast possible. Inside the Glass was recorded in 2019 at The Gathering in Banff, Alberta, Canada by Daryl Swart. Mixing, editing, and additional recording done at We Edit Podcasts in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This podcast was produced by Ryan Gill, Chris Neeland, Adam Gill, and Jason Graham. Join us for another exciting episode of Inside the Glass where we'll introduce you to another ordinary person with an extraordinary story. And for more info on how to be part of the gathering, visit www.cultgathering.com.